is a disciple? In the Great Commission, that is exactly what Jesus instructs his followers to go and make. The eleven disciples travelled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near to them and he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. Disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. What is a disciple? What is it that Jesus is sending us out en masse to do? Um, did you know that in our church we have a little ministry that's been going since September called Bake and Bible? Rachel, our intern, has gathered some of the young ladies from Hangouts, from our youth club, and every week they come together to bake cakes of various varieties and then to study the Bible. They've been going through the book of Ephesians if you want to know uh, what they've been up to, if you want to ask them any questions, I'm sure they'd love to tell you everything that they've been involved in. Now sometimes when they're preparing cakes, it's pretty obvious what it is that they need to make. Um, let's say, for example, that Rachel decided that week that they were making a chocolate cupcake. The clue is in the name. It does what it says on the tin. They're going to be making cupcakes that are chocolate flavoured. But sometimes, some weeks, it's not so obvious. Rachel was telling me a couple of weeks ago they made blondies. Do you know what a blondie is? I had a check, even though I had an inkling what it was. A blondie is a brownie made with white chocolate. Do you know what a brownie is? No, it's not necessarily self-explanatory. It needs unpacking, it needs explaining. What if in the future, Rachel rocked up and told those, those young ladies that they were gonna be making a Battenberg cake? Now, for those of us who have eaten a Battenberg, we might have some sort of idea, but there's no real link. There's no real, it does what it says on the tin between the name of the cake and what it is that they need to be preparing. Which of those do you think describes best the term, the name, the, the um, description, disciple? Is disciple something that is simple, that is obvious, that does what it says on the tin, or is it something that needs a bit more unpacking? Is it something that needs expanding and explaining? I think, actually, it's the second category. It's a word we know, it's a word perhaps that we use, but it needs describing. It needs explaining and, and, and teasing apart for us to, to really be open and honest about it. In fact, even the idea of coming up with a description for it is quite tricky. It's quite difficult. But let's, let's start off then by trying to do that. Let's try and come up with a description, a definition, if you like, of what a disciple is. Well, the first thing to say is that it's not a, a word that simply appears in the Bible out of nowhere. 
the time of Jesus in the ancient world, it was already uh, an established practice for a disciple to be uh, a follower of a teacher. Um, to have someone to have committed themselves to another particular individual, their school of thought, their wise words and their saying, and their way of life. It's all about, in the ancient world, aligning and learning to follow and replicate what you see and hear from that other person. So when Jesus uses the term disciple, it isn't plucked out of thin air, it's an already existing word, it's an already established word. And it means for someone to be a student, if you like, or, or an apprentice to a master. And so that reveals to us two things about what a disciple is. Firstly, it reveals to us that being a disciple means you are someone who bears another's name, that you have somebody else's name as your identity. For example, if you heard of Pythagoras, Pythagoras, we know him from school and his rules with um, the equation for triangles that have right angles, x squared equals a squared plus b squared. But he wasn't just uh, fascinated with mathematical relationships, he was a philosopher. And he was a philosopher who gathered supporters. There were people who looked to him and the way that he viewed the world how he explained the world, how he therefore lived his life in that world, and they wanted to be like him. They wanted to be with him. They wanted to, to be known as his disciples, Pythagoreans. They were passionate about, yeah, mathematical formulas, because that was part of their thinking, but they wanted to be his followers, to be near him, to learn from him, and to have as their names his name. And it's in that sense, which is very often used for the disciples in the Bible, for Jesus's followers. There's a little side note that comes to us in Luke's book of Acts, speaking about um, the emergence of Paul. We know him. This is what he writes. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And then he writes this, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. The disciples were called Christians. These people who'd aligned themselves, who decided that they wanted to follow after they received that name. So bearing the name, being identified with them, a person, a teacher, a master, is integral to being a disciple. That's no less true for Christians than it is in the wider ancient world. But it means something more than that as well. A disciple then uh, in the ancient world was someone who was being molded into the likeness of their teacher. Someone who was being shaped and changed to resemble more closely their master. You didn't just agree with Pythagoras. You wanted his thoughts to, to become your thoughts. And, and his ways, his practices to become your ways and practices. To live and to talk and to walk and to act like the man. And so it is with the disciples in the scriptures, the followers of Jesus who wanted to take on his name. But this is what Jesus said. 
Luke chapter 6, verse 40. We looked at this at the sort of the beginning of last year. A disciple is not above their teacher. Everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Jesus understands that relationship is one that is transformative for the people who are following after him. A disciple is someone who is being moulded into the likeness of their master. So if we brass tax it for a second, this is what a disciple is. Someone who bears the name of another. Someone who is following such that they are being moulded and shaped into their likeness. Now it isn't unheard of for something like that, a word, a, a term, a notion, an idea, to be used by Jesus, but to be turned completely upside down, to be completely flipped on its head. It isn't unheard of for Jesus to take something that is well established and to subvert it. So is that really what Jesus is speaking about? Is that really what Jesus has in mind when he tells his disciples to go and make disciples, this idea of bearing a name and being moulded into the likeness? Well, let's have a look. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. You know, gloriously, we're having a baptism in church next Sunday. Um, over in the 11 o'clock service in Llandabia, one particular individual will publicly declare and proclaim that they belong to Jesus. Uh, one individual is going to say that yes, that they have come to know Jesus, to trust in Jesus, that they want to follow Jesus, that they love Jesus, that they submit to Jesus, that his name, they want to be their names. And this is what Jesus links with discipleship right here. That as part of the discipling process, people would be baptised in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So it does seem that, yes, Jesus has in mind when he's thinking about people becoming disciples, this bearing of his name. But what about the other one? What about the being moulded? Well, Jesus puts it like this here. Teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. Now, in general, we don't really like the idea of obedience. We don't really like the idea of being told what to do. But with Jesus, it is different, isn't it? That sense of obeying things which have been commanded, because Jesus isn't someone simply who barks orders like uh, a dictator. Jesus truly is one who is asking us, commanding us to obey that which he himself did. He's calling people to live a life after the pattern that he has set. To obey precisely the way of being a human that he embodied. Think about some of these specific ways in scriptures these are um, um, articulated. Jesus uh, calls us to imitate him in the love that he has. In John chapter 13, a new command I give you, says Jesus, an instruction, a way of living, love one another. But not in any sort of abstract way. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. 
Jesus is calling us to imitate him, to be moulded by him and to begin to look more like him. In his love, in his mission as well. We think about the first call that those disciples received. The one who came to seek and to save the lost invites them to come and to be fishers of men too. His mission, his love, his humility. Paul, who we read about there, Saul, Tarsus. This is how he put it when he was describing the sort of relationships that should exist between Christians and the humility that they should have. He says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Be humble as he is humble. Imitate him, be moulded by him. Peter, another one of Jesus' closest followers, one of the people who were there on the mountain receiving this instruction, he later wrote this. It is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. He's writing to people who potentially have been persecuted for bearing the name of Jesus. And then he writes this. To this you were called because Jesus suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. If you let me just read you a slightly longer section from John chapter 13, where that um, new command to love was given. It's in the context of Jesus disrobing, kneeling at the feet of his followers and washing their feet. This is what John records. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher. You call me Lord. And rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set this example that you should do as I have done for you. In Jesus' willingness to serve, we're called to imitate, we're called to, to be moulded. So when Jesus commands, when he instructs his disciples to teach others to obey what he has commands, they're not the commands and the rules and the regulations of a dictator, but they're an invitation to imitate to be moulded by, to live life in the same way that he lived life. A really helpful thing to do on this, by the way, is to go away and to reread the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's Gospel, um, chapters 5, 6 and 7, basically a manifesto for, uh, that Jesus gives for what real human living could be and should be like. And as you're rereading the Sermon on the Mount, ask yourself the question, how did Jesus live like this? Because mark my words, surely he did. Jesus wasn't one who would speak a better game than he could play. Jesus was one who lived it to the nth degree and commanded his followers to do likewise. He instructs as one who has willingly lived it all out first. So, Jesus, is he subverting an already established term or is he using it as it should be used? He's using it as it should be used. Jesus wants us 
to be a people who are going out and making disciples. And by that, he means going out and being engaged in the process of people taking his name as their name. People becoming Christian, submitting themselves to him, trusting in him and learning to walk and to follow and to live in his ways, to be moulded by him. And I would ask the question this morning of everybody who's listening, who would you rather have as a name over and above you? Whose pattern, whose likeness would you rather be moulded into? See, Jesus is one who has said, I have all authority in the heavens and on earth. Do we really want to settle to have over and above us a, a Pythagoras or a Plato or a Dawkins or even just a, a family member who we admire or idolise? Whose name would you have over your life than the one who has all authority? Remember we've spoken about before, he is standing there, the, the crucified, the resurrected teacher, Lord, Master. What a demonstration of love and grace and kindness. Who else, who else's name would you rather have than his and what about being moulded into his likeness? Really, that is one of the most persuasive things to me of the Christian faith. Is the, the character, the nature of the one we encounter in the Gospels. Jesus in all his beauty and all his love and all his life and all his truth. Who else would we rather have as our pattern, as our role model, as our example that we want to follow after? Don't strive for anything less than the one who invites us to come and to follow him. So what does that mean for us then? Well, we are disciples when God's awakening grace opens our eyes to the truth that is in Jesus and then begins to conform us to his words and his ways. A disciple, if I can put it like this, is someone who has come to see the truth of who Jesus really is and is then in the process of learning to see the world as Jesus sees it. And so is learning to walk and talk and live as he would. Now we have had this language in our church for the last four or five years. The discipleship, becoming a disciple, developing as a disciple is all about knowing Jesus more and making Jesus more known. Knowing Jesus more and making Jesus more known. You see, we can come to know Jesus as Nigel has and that is why he's going to be baptised next week. We can come once definitively to see who he truly is. We can know him as the creator, the sustainer, the saviour, the redeemer. We can know him as that definitively, decisively in one moment. But that's not the end of it. That is simply, if you like, the first step on that long road. We should and we could and we can 
and we will be, by God's grace, learning more about him. Not just knowing him once, but coming to know him more deeply. So that we would become more like him. That's a wonderful picture description, I think, of Christian maturity. To know Jesus more. To be able to answer the question wherever we find ourselves, how would Jesus walk and talk and respond in this situation? That's maturity. That is a disciple who has grown. Not knowing about mountains in the Bible, although that excites me. Not being disciplined enough to get up every day and read four chapters of the Bible before you do anything else, although that is extremely useful. Maturity is knowing Jesus more and therefore knowing how to live and breathe as he does. But as we explored with that illustration of the water filling us a couple of weeks ago, discipleship isn't just something that happens to us. We come to know Jesus and we grow in our knowledge of him. Discipleship is supposed to be something that happens through us as well. Remember, it's to disciples that he's giving this instruction to make disciples. Don't let it stop with you. That's why in the language of the church, we want to use the twofold phrase to know Jesus more and to make Jesus more known. That sense of introducing him for the first time, perhaps ever, to someone who has known nothing of Jesus and to say, this is the one that you've been searching for all your life. This is the one you most truly need. And the lights by the power of the Holy Spirit go on and they know him for themselves. They bear his name. They're saved. But more than that, helping everyone who surrounds us to know Jesus more. That means helping one another to know him more. Making him more, more known continues in all of our lives as we, as we show and as we share what difference Jesus should be making day by day by day to one another. That's one of the reasons why we're in 2 Timothy at the moment in our rooted groups. Rooted groups, in case that jargon doesn't land with you, rooted groups are just smaller groups within our church community who meet together, say, on a weekly basis to support, to encourage, to help one another to come to know Jesus more, to grow as disciples. And at the moment, this term, we're going through to Timothy, the letter, uh, again, from Paul to one of his disciples, to Timothy, someone that he had led to faith in Jesus and had helped build up and grow up in the faith. And there's this wonderful um, verse, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, that says this, You then, my son, Paul, speaking to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, the things that you have learned from me, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. It's a great verse because it's like this little conveyor belt we get to see of discipleship. Paul, who by God's grace has come to see and come to know in an instant and through a, a life of following who Jesus is, 
He's introduced Timothy to Jesus and has continued to help him to grow and get to know him more. And now he says to that protege of his, be part, be a part of forming that same knowledge in others who themselves will be passing it on and shaping and growing. What an amazing vision that Paul would be instructing Timothy to go and find others who can then pass it on. Because it doesn't stop with us. Knowing Jesus doesn't stop with us. It's supposed to flow out of us and flow through us to everyone around us. It's an amazing vision of how it has been, how it must have been for us 2,000 years later to be sat here this morning and to have faith and knowledge and a relationship with Jesus. It's an amazing vision of how it must have been, of how it continues to be currently in many places. And I pray again by God's grace how it could be and should be and will be amongst us. But for this to be a picture of what life is like here in Amford Church, in our communities, in our families, that more and more people are taking for themselves the name of Jesus, putting their hope and their faith and their trust in him, nailing their colours to that mast for their safety and their security and their futures and their presence and therefore growing and following him and being moulded more into his likeness. For that to be a reality in our church, we need to answer these two questions. Who are you growing? Who are you leading and helping to be moulded more into the likeness of Jesus? And with that, who is growing and leading and moulding you? Who are you discipling and who is discipling you? Who are you helping to know Jesus more and to be changed into his likeness? And who is helping you to know Jesus more? and to be changed into his likeness. You might say, oh look, I can't be a part of all that. I don't know enough. If you know Jesus, then you know enough. You know enough to help someone who doesn't know Jesus. Listen, you know enough to help someone who is the most mature Christian in our church family. If you know Jesus yourself, if you have him, as your name, if you bear his name, then you know enough. You might put your hand up and say, well, it's not that I don't know enough. It's that my current circumstances and situation mean that I'm not able to lead and to grow and to help and to point and to mould anybody else. Do you know you are able? Whatever circumstances, whatever situation that you find yourself in, locked up at home, sick, ill, suffering. Do you know how you live your life following Jesus, trusting to him, clinging to him even in the darkness, will speak volumes to those that you allow see you living like that. You don't need to be up here as a Christian in order to be able to share Jesus and to share just how faithful he is just how ongoingly gracious and kind he is. You don't need to be up there. In fact, very often, 
those people who speak to us about the faithfulness of Jesus, the nearness of God, his kindness and his ongoing grace, are those people who are down here, who humanly speaking are barely clinging on, but in Jesus they are being held tight. So don't say that you don't know enough, because if you know Jesus, you do. Don't say that you aren't able because whatever circumstances you are in, those are circumstances in which you can testify to the power and the glory of Jesus. But to the other question of who is growing you, well, then you might answer that, nobody. Because nobody has offered. Nobody has said, please come to me. Let me take you under my wing. Well, to you, I would say, position yourself. Position yourself to be a person who can be moulded by those around you. Because it needn't be an official thing, a structured thing. Just observe. Be a person who wants to see, who wants to learn. Manufacture situations where you can learn from that suffering saint about how faithful God is in their circumstances. Invite someone who you respect as a disciple of Jesus, who you think is a mature Christian. Invite them round to your house and ask them questions about their faith. Ask them questions about their Christian life. Today, this month, over the last 20, 30, 40 years, position yourself to be moulded. Don't sit down and be sad that no one has grabbed you by the scruff of the neck and said, Oi, come here, young laddie, I want to disciple you. Go out, be discipled. That is within your grasp, that is within your power and your control. And you know, when we are, we are helping others to know Jesus more, when we are actively seeking to know him more, when we are desiring to be disciples and to make disciples, do you know what, that is gonna be a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing that Jesus wants to be a part of because all of that all of that I've said sounds very us centered doesn't it it sounds very much like Jesus here is giving this final command go off make disciples of all nations and if we think about that too long how daunting let me take you back to, to bake and a bible and Rachel and those girls you know Rachel has got a job for them to do She's thought, she's prepared, she's got all of the things, the ingredients, the recipes. She's got all of the tools, the implements that are needed. They're there, they're ready. Do you know what Rachel doesn't then do? Rachel doesn't then do, um, she doesn't say, when your marks get so bake and I'll be back in 30 minutes. Rachel stays with them. Rachel rolls up her own sleeves, puts on her own apron and helps. She encourages she instructs where it needs us. She watches and she makes it. She stays with them. She works with those girls until the final product is there. Do you know, if we are listening to Jesus's voice here, he gives us this promise. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Christ, by his spirit, is still very much involved in this mission. This instruction that he has given us his departure, his ascension was not, I'll leave you to it and I'll pop back in a moment. Christ is with us. Christ is around us. Christ is before us and he's there like Rachel cleaning up the mess afterwards. So this is my imploring you this morning. Listen to him. Let us 
disciple. Let us be discipled and let's disciple others. Let's take Jesus' name on and grow in his likeness and share his name with others and help people to follow after him. Let's know Jesus more. Let's make Jesus more known. And most excitingly, let's do it with him.